0: Last week, I pushed us to wonder if maybe at the heart of resurrection means to remind us we are to leave our grave clothes in the tomb, for we are awake, naked, alive, and free. Or, to put it in the words of the writer of the Gospel of Thomas, when the the disciples ask of Jesus, when will you be visible to us, and when will we see you? Jesus responds, when you undress and are not ashamed. What does it mean then to be community together, a resurrected people, astonished and terrified, yes, but also alive together in the here and now in a very temporal world? Tonight and for the next five weeks, we're engaging the arts in particular to begin to respond to such a question At Emmaus Way, if you've been around for a while, perhaps you know, or maybe you've forgotten, if you're new to us. At Emmaus Way, we purposefully invest in the arts and believe that the arts have an essential role to play for our formation as community. We believe that art should be interested in telling hard truths and asking hard questions, exposing broken spaces, but art also opens up how we imagine how the redemptive presence of the gospel might transform those very spaces. And we believe that art only properly exists when it is embedded in a community of people interested in wrestling with and living into the story that art is trying to tell. We've recently as a community been exploring and renewing that commitment with a different take on our residency model that aims to put a particular artist into a deeper and broader relationship and conversation with our community for a season within our communal life. We began this residency with Suze during Lent, and now we're continuing with Marie during Eastertide. And Marie is similar to Suze, and that Marie as an artist has been a part of our communal life as an artist in various ways before. If you remember, last Lent in 2018, Marie wrote these really powerful reflections on the text as our call to gather each week. And then in October, we spent a night dialoguing on her essay, Kara, I Am, I Was an Animal. But Marie is also a different artist in residence in part because Emmaus Way is the community that she and Neil claim, um, and one in which she's already deeply embedded. For that, we are so thankful. And this artist residency is the first residency that is non-music, which is really exciting. And as, um, I'm not a part of the arts team, but I know that's been a big topic of discussion, of what does it mean to fully invest in the arts on the whole, not merely music. And so we're so excited for that. So as we read Marie's essay tonight and talk about what it means to be a resurrection people, we're going to ask um, that we suspend turning this conversation into a conversation about resurrection in the afterlife. Um, What does it mean to be a resurrection people in the here and now? Because as you'll see, Marie's essay really opens up avenues um, for what it means to be alive and naked and free or not in this life, on this earth, in the spaces we occupy, in spaces we occupy um, that we have taken from others. And I'll let Marie share more about this essay after we pass the piece but I'm really excited to be open to the wrestling, the beauty, and the asking of hard questions tonight with you all, Um, because it is. We are, in fact, a resurrection people, and we don't always talk about that. And so I'm really thankful for this essay to be a way for us to begin that conversation. But first, let's pass the piece. We have snacks and water and coffee back there. Everyone else can go um, love on Emma. I'm having to stay away (laughs) with this cold. Um, But we'll pass the piece for a few moments and then come back and dive in with this essay. So glad you're here. All right. Um, If everyone would um, come back to the center, <laughs> and I um, am about to hand it over to Marie, um, but before I do, so just a note, um, this essay, um, Ben and I and um, had really the privilege to read this essay over this past week, um, and it is Beautiful and brilliant and everything you would imagine um, that Marie would create, but a word about it: um, this essay has not been published. Um, Marie hopes to publish it, but what that means is that none of us, even if we like love it and just are like, there's this, a way, yeah, a passage in there that we're like, oh my gosh, we love this. We want the whole world to know about it. Hold your horses. You cannot publish, post any of this to social media, online, like nothing. This essay stays here. I'm not gonna like ask you to hand back the bulletin to shred it after, um, but we just really wanna respect Marie as an artist so that she can actually submit this for publication after tonight and thank her for trusting us um, to hold yeah, this essay before it's published. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Marie.
1: I've been working on this piece for so long. And this was finally an excuse to really finish it. But yeah, it just hasn't found a home quite yet. Um, So thanks, Molly, for all of that. As I was writing this essay, I um, started thinking a lot more about the the practice of acknowledging the land that we are sitting on, so I wanted to, just for a quick moment, um, remember that this is the ancestral land of the Catawba people. Um, Another note that's coming, from not from artist Marie, but from lead team Marie. uh, just wanted to give a quick plug for giving to Emmaus way kind of awkward to do it right now um, y- yet this is like this is like the weird thing that Emmaus way does we do the arts in a way that other faith communities don't it's really unique it's really exciting um, you might not like me but I know you'll like everyone else who's, <laughs> who's a resident um, and so yeah the fiscal year is ending please give. We haven't quite reached our goal. Um, you can do that online, and there's yellow papers in the back. I think one of the papers back there can help you do that, um, or ask any me or staff. Anyone can help you um, figure that out. But yeah, um, that's how we support our community and the weird things that we do um, that I think are really important and special. Um, okay, so on to the essay now. Um, this is a really long essay, and there's not a whole lot of it right here. So I'm going to give you some context. Um, it takes place in 2001. I am a teenager. Um, I go to a super evangelical church in the middle of California, um, like really into um, heaven and um, the atonement and also like purity culture, so i don't know if anyone else here spent a lot of time with the book I kissed dating Goodbye in the late nineties or early 2000s I unfortunately did like lost good years of life um, it's like a little sad, but yeah the, like really like this is like the this is for real in the in the world of this essay, like holding hands maybe sinful um and so, and it's it's important for you to know that like everyone in this essay has like lots of crushes, but like in a very fourth grade way. Um, so sometimes I might refer to someone as like crush because I didn't really want to use names, but like it, it's it's pretty ridiculous, but like also really encompassing. Um, and I'll get to that in a moment. Um, also, Neil was there on that trip. Um, he was not the highest drinking crush that week, <laughs> but the best. Um, <laughs> the only one I would have married. Um, (laughs) So, um, okay, so those are some important things. Um, Okay, so my youth pastor, and she got in touch with this guy who was like a missionary trainer, and he connected us. He said he was connecting us to um, a church that was on the Wallapai Nation, which is near the Grand Canyon. Um, and, and part of that's in Peach Springs, Arizona. Um, and so we were going to go and be missionaries at this church for a week, like do VBS, save some souls. It was going to be great. And when we got there very late on Easter night, um, the church was dark, and it turned out nobody knew we were coming. And so this whole youth group showed up, no, we're just like these like white kids that are like, "Hey, we're here." <laughs> it's like, it's like it's actually not funny, but it is, right? Like it's it's hor- it's kind of horrific, um, and um, it wasn't even there at spring break. Like the kids weren't even on spring break. It was it was a disaster, and the pastor was like, "I guess you can stay. You can you can paint the bathroom. There's like some trash on the hill. You can clean up." Um, so we stayed on this church, which was on top of a hill. So we never left the hill all week. We were like, just like the white church kids on top of the hill over the reservation. It was very awkward. Um, some children did come out for like an abridged version of VBS. Um, and um, we, we did go down from the hill, the, our, like one of our last days there, because we did go to the Wallapai Pow Wow that happened to be that same week. Um, which I will be talking about a lot throughout the essay. Um, Another note, um, I'm definitely not writing about Hualapai people. I don't have the authority to do that, but our stories did collide in a weird way for a week. Um, And that's a story I've been grappling with for almost 20 years now. Um, Let's see. So much context, but it's going to make a lot more sense when I'm reading. Yeah, so, okay, so there we are at the church, no one knows we're coming, we're really into not dating, and (laughs) there is only one sanctuary, like the church is only a sanctuary, and so the adults are like, oh my goodness, how are we going to, how are the boys and the girls going to sleep in the same room? So they put up um, folding chairs in the middle of the church at night, and like masking tape on the floor, and they're like, don't cross this line. Which, so you can like imagine what actually happened, um, the line was crossed in like the most innocent way, but it was definitely crossed um so and i I say all this not just to give you context for actually like understanding the logistics of the essay, but i I want to like highlight the profound disconnect that we had um with our own bodies we were like very we we were acting as if we were very, like, detached from our flesh. Um, and, um, and we were also really detached from the physical reality of um, not just ourselves, but the people we had um, imposed ourselves upon, the Walla the people um, in Peach Springs. Like, we were completely detached. We didn't understand their physical reality um 500 years ago, 200 years ago, now, we didn't think about their future. We were completely disconnected from from bodily life for us and for everyone. And um I don't want to equivocate here. So I want to like really make sure that like I'm not conflating the um the like the like purity culture and um the restrictions on our bodies, and specifically the policing of women's bodies that comes with that, with the actual um, 500 years of atrocities against um, indigenous land and indigenous people um, and many people of color around the world um, by Europeans, by Americans. That that has happened, that continues. So I don't want to conflate those things, but what I do want to do is draw some attention to how the, um, the same web of systems that enables purity culture and, like, this complete disconnect from our bodies is connected to, um, is connected to and, and really commissions the the land, se- the land theft, uh, atrocities in- against indigenous people, um, the attempted genocide of lives of culture and um, and I think the alienation of all people though are very different degrees from land from meaningful work from our own bodies, so that 's the context I want to give. Um, I th- think that's enough to understand i'm have to fill in a couple spots, but mostly that's all so i 'm going to stop talking and just. And read now. Thank you so much for listening. It means a lot to me. So this is part of Resurrection People. Um, he is risen indeed. Nearly one week earlier, we sat in the blue carpeted sanctuary of our California church before our mothers gave us chocolate, our fathers a farewell, shoving into Voyagers, Safaris, AeroStars, my friends and I, Christian ska CD's poised, waited for our small group leaders and parent chaperones to turn their keys. I was barely 16, a young Christian set out to save souls, but also a bit of a fake, unable to verbalize my ache for a better world, though not much interested in souls. I feared I was destined for hell because I was unmoved that Jesus had died to save me from it. As the expedition began, We ripped into pastel-foiled sweets. Um, You know what? I'm realizing I forgot something I wanted to say. Um, Sorry. Something really beautiful Molly said was like suspending our belief or just the idea of of eternity. And I want us also to be thinking about that wonderful quote from Wendell Berry about practicing resurrection. So kind of keep that in your minds. I'll keep going. Sorry. Stopping meant losing or gaining a seat. I always sat with my girlfriends. I craved to be next to any one of the boys who were my crushes. This was one of the only chances for contact outside of pool party games. I, a disciple of the purity movement, considered not kissing until marriage. I would not soil myself for my future husband. But I also had a vague idea about setting myself aside for the Lord. What was long ago... This is a different section. What was long ago called Route 66 fed us into Arizona's darkening hills. I had not yet read Grapes of Wrath or considered ancestors, but my family had been there not so long ago, traversing in the opposite direction. In frenzied search of fruit, to eat, to pick, to can, they escaped fathers or the poverty of being fatherless or the disappointment of second or third-born landlessness, or shame that, despite the promises, there had never been land. After 200 plus years, nothing on this continent except staying alive had worked. That Easter night, we wound through mountains bordered by a sky starrier than the one we knew at home. We were lost. I did not know that the old Wallapai boarding school was near or what an Indian boarding school was, save for a history textbook photograph. I did know that if we never found the church, my spring break would be ruined, but we would arrive, limp through the week, and check off the boxes that made us missionaries. This is this section's from a conversation that Neil and I had pretty recently, actually. What do you remember most about Arizona? Husband said, it snows in Arizona. I laughed, reliving my own shock that Arizona was not the heat stroke I'd expected. It was just one state over though where we ventured was also its own sovereign nation. He continued, isn't it strange we didn't know? As a kid, I prayed without success every Christmas Eve for snow. I kept my mother's 1970s bibs draped over the wire hanger in the back of my closet. They were no use to me when I woke to wet flakes on that Arizona Eastertide. The youth group moped about. I looked out over the church lot to the mountains and then down upon the gray-white roofs of the reservation. Um, So this next section is something that I still find really disturbing that happened during the week uh, when we were not saving souls, goofing off instead. Um, We found a scorpion and put it in a jar. We plucked a giant black beetle off the churchyard and dropped it in with the scorpion. Laying on our stomachs, we made a circle around the spectacle. We bet on winners. I forget the stakes. Now I rescue insects from my older daughter, but that day I wanted to see the show. The creatures did not kill each other fast enough. and worse, they were wounded. Pastor walked by. The scorpion and beetle flailed. We pretended he hadn't seen. Did he ask the creator to forgive us? for we, we knew not what we did. Perhaps the pastor cared little for the scorpion beetle, all the life that grew up around the church, but still on principle it was a damn crime, us golden-haired kill- kids cold- killing animals, always making a point to own and smash everything around us. Or maybe he would not think on it. He handed the paint to the adult and then walked outside to inspect our work. Out, okay, the north hillside was bare of trash, I dream I listen to him breathe as he stands there, wondering if he can save us from ourselves. Does a good pastor try to get folks into the heart of the matter? What is the heart, he might have asked himself quietly as he went on to the next task, digging through the storage bin for the masking tape, which cannot be found. I remember shifting, my shirt riding up, my belly snagged on the carpet's stray staples and crumbs. Our giggles turned to groans because the creatures would not die. We mumbled that things had gone too far. I wanted Pastor to stop us. I wanted him to rage. We were torturers and had to destroy the evidence. I dream I listened to him. Oh. I forget how it all turned out. We asphyxiated the creatures with chemicals, bug spray, throat spray, and then threw the deceased out on the hillside. We hid the jar and its occupants in a pile of junk, or we dropped a boulder on them to get it over with. We lit a match inside their glass hell. We swallowed them alive. We put our hands in the jar, begging the scorpion to sting us, the beetle to bite, so we could say it was defense, that it was them or us, that we had no choice. We opened the jar, and they were resilient little things. We found them the best spots on the hill. They were quick and happy. We made a difference. We put them out of harm's way, where they wouldn't run into our type again. Perhaps Pastor, by turning his head as we decimated the life on his hill, made a generous gesture, he just let it go, as if he said, "Yeah, I already know who you are." Um, and this is the second-to-last day that we were on the reservation. We weren't exactly welcome to the Wollipi, on the, on the Walla Reservation, but we were invited to the Powwow Fair and Square. MC seemed to dictate not only the order of events, but life itself, as if we were to breathe and how quickly. When he pointed at the youth group's tallest guys, including former number one crush and prom date, and said like a basketball coach, you three up here, they followed orders. I now can tell you that bring up the white boys is not standard powwow fare, but we didn't know the difference then. After the din of a break, we looked up to see the boys in the center of the gymnasium wearing leather vests. They held guns and whips. They had become transformed from skinny boys to powerful white men. I shuddered. Wall of high people, mostly women, cowered beneath them. This next section is um, a reflection on one night at the end of the week when um, the chair line was crossed, um, specifically when some very wet food was like thrown over the chair line at night, and um, some people got upset. So, boys would be boys, everyone said. But what did that mean? I'd heard it from the modesty enforcers. Boys would be boys, so I better cover up. And that night, near the end of the trip, when one of our adults almost went to blows with her, male, with her male counterpart, I heard some form of that idea again from him. It didn't sit right. I couldn't see then how it reduced them, nor- normalize the terrorizing of women. That's it. Let's take this outside, yelled head girl leader, who I realized in hindsight was probably just tired. During the shouting match, which we could all hear. Our other adults read books with flashlights or pretended they were sleeping. Feminine purity this, boys, boys, boys that, and still how many years until most of us would know the warm lines of bodies, even hands, not our own. After too long, youth pastors stormed outside, hissing something along the lines of, we are all stuck here, this is terrible, let's just get through it. Okay, and this is back to the powwow. wow. MC narrated historical violence, but I could not listen. I stared as the boymen, red in the face and grasping their weapons, prodded the long suffering people, mumbling, Hurry up, get, don't make me shoot, move it now, scoot. Wallapai women and men marched, screamed, flailed, died. Now I'm sure he spoke of the US Army's forced removal of the Wallapai from their ancestral lands. After increasing settler encroachment, those who survived the journey were held in detention near La Paz in the Sonoran Desert until they made an arduous escape back to the Peach Springs area, which would become their official reservation. I knew none of that then. Wallapai children played at our feet on the bleachers. I looked down at them. I sensed we were not carefree California kids without history after all. There was a core and it was rotten. If our adults were moved as the carnage unfolded, we could not tell. Throughout the week, they'd squabbled over the, over the fences they'd built up around our purity. They believed in purity. They wondered, they worried for our eternal souls. Here, a few Wallapai folks were showing us what happened to bodies. Were leading us through the coming-of-age ritual we'd never asked for—an invitation into our legacy of pillage, a long line of pale men with guns, the forever gaggle of women holding the newly orphaned and calling it charity. This was our powwow too. Ghosts burst from our chests, but most of us, most of us, shoved them right back in and went on with life. As a youth group, we never talked about the event, and this is disgusting, but if you are the kind of person to read essays like this, you already know that, and you can probably guess that though I rested my eyes away from the spectacle to suture up my heart, my job was not tight. For all these years later, I can't crack the question, if this is my name, then how might I change it? And for a long time, this is where I stopped. But as an endpoint, this doesn't work. For months, I have known this. I squint at my computer screen, reading the question again and again. Phrases like recentering white slash settler guilt pop up. But how can I deal with these demons? I pray to air, my computer screen, to wisdom, Holy Spirit. Ignoring colonization and all its violence, like my youth group did, is wretched. I cannot seem to catapult myself anywhere less wretched. I mouth the above words. If this is my name, okay, my name. My ancestors, as far as I know, had little to do with Southwestern peoples such as the Wallapai and Navajo. But surely they, poor settlers moving west nearly every generation, Decided peoples like the Kickapoo, Shawnee, Iowa, Oto, Delaware and Osage should not live on with their lands. They would take the lands for themselves, and they snuck it and grabbed it and killed for it, not only in cruelty and racism, but yes, also those things. But because they were part of a country where they needed to own land and wring it and themselves out, and if they didn't, they and their children and their children's children would not be deemed worthy of survival and all the plots east were already taken. Then how might I change it? Oh, I realize then, it is the wrong question. I don't say this to trivialize the past an ongoing trauma thrust on wallapai and other indigenous people, but because I must finally take it seriously, this name question is a distraction. It is a hand-wringing. It is an obsession with the instrument without second thoughts of the musician, conductor, score. It is a big show of remorse that evades responsibility. It is joyless. It is a smug finger pointed at the idiots with MAGA hats. It is an emission of unbelief. For where, there are, for where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. It is a performative confession about one thing, when actually it is a real confession about another. Why should wrongs be righted so long as I am off the hook? It is not a theory of change. It won't get me off the powwow bleachers. At best, it is a conflation of guilt and solidarity. But at worst, it is again a violence against the agency of indigenous people, It is a fake question that precludes the necessary questions. The day after the powwow, our last in Arizona, we officially decompressed at Grand Canyon National Park. The crows were amazing, large as hawks, but fully crows. They swooped into the canyon when they felt like it. Staring down into the canyon and up into crows' wingspans, I would not think about prom date's role in the powwow the afternoon before. We all let forgetfulness wash over us like we had not allowed Holy Spirit to do. But Holy Spirit is not so easily lost. She finds lift on the lightest of breezes. And um, this last section, I, yeah, I wanted to think about that practice resurrection idea, um, which is, sounds really great. But is hard to think about, and it's really hard to think about when we when we say, "Okay, we are wading into a space where we're thinking we're not thinking about eternity. We're thinking we're not we're not acting as if there is an eternity. We are acting. We're like acting as if the finite here and now is all there is, and that's okay. And yet, we're practicing resurrection, and that's a weird paradox. But let's go there. Um, so, um, yeah, this is the close of the essay." Um, Back to the powwow. What did the dead and maimed do next? I can't tell you. I do not remember. There was no talk throughout that entire powwow about souls or the eternal life. But they must have risen. I can't see it. Still, they must have. They wouldn't have laid there the rest of the afternoon. Too much depended on their getting up. I'm sure that before the boys even shrugged off their weapons, before the rest of us on the bleachers could shut our gaping mouths, the people resurrected. The mothers returned for their children. The dancers put on their skirts. The drummers drummed. The people feasted. Thanks. Thanks so
0: much, Marie, for sharing. pieces of your essay with us but to sort of get us going in a dialogue tonight I'm curious um, what are some initial reactions of this piece um, for you perhaps um, if you want to answer it this way what line section or theme in particular about resurrection and practicing resurrection in the here and now is sticking with you and making you think. I think one thing for me, um, as you all are rereading parts and thinking about what you'll share, is Neil's question, isn't it strange we didn't know? And initially Marie wasn't going to have that section as a reading, but I think for me it felt symbolic of, isn't it strange that perhaps for many of us, we didn't know to even begin to think of being a resurrection people in the here and now, right, for a really long time. Like, isn't it strange there is so much we didn't know and still don't know and yet what do we do with those learnings and how does that new truth change us and shape us? But others, what's sticking out to you about this piece?
2: The checkbox missionary part um, definitely. some sort of uh, trip, which, you know, kind of was seemingly to be some kind of right passage towards, yeah. uh, I guess, uh, being, uh, or being able to express the uh, things of the burden of the and yet, you get there and you're like, are we <laughs> Yeah,
0: right? Yeah. It is this notion of, right, going and being a missionary and helping out, yeah, these folks. And yet, really, is that, yeah, how the gospel get, is more complicated than that, right? And, like, being a person of faith, I think it's more complicated.
2: Mm-hmm. Particularly on, um, you know, domestic church, I don't know what I would call it, uh, where it isn't necessarily, you're here for the souls, right? Yeah.
3: You
2: know, that's the main goal, you know, right? here for souls. You know, it makes me wonder, like, did the youth have sort of, like, a, like a goal? Like, how many souls we you want to be able to convert, or? <laughs> 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 how do you know, if, yeah. What makes a successful mission trip, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Others. Others. It's sort of your comment, Aaron, and then this essay reminds me of, so, right, I mean, I went to South Africa my last semester of college, like, yes, to work for an HIV-AIDS nonprofit, but really I thought that I'd found the man that I was kissing dating goodbye to marry there, and went back to be with him. And the number of churches, and we would have churches come in, into the township every week, and doing the little prayer tonight, it hit me, right? Because you know those salvation bracelets that people would come, right, to, like, save souls with? And, um... Yeah, and, like, the kids just thought it was a joke. And so they, like, renamed every color, like, a curse word, basically. And um, they were like, oh, yeah, well, this gives us reason, right? And so they were, like, cursing these colors as these churches coming in were really thinking we're saving these souls and helping these poor children in this township. And I was a piece of that, right? Because I raised money to go live there for six months myself. Um, but thinking about that tension was saving the soul for the afterlife really resurrection for these kids or for even for us yeah others
2: uh, yeah the part with the mc you know he picks three guys and says you three up here because um, it's this reversal of the power expectation that um the assumption here is that, that the youth group has the power? Has the thing? Is bringing it? Is in, is bestowing it? And, and um, you know, I, I, as you say, where he takes control, right? And and also like the element of humor, I think, um, like the creativity in that, and um, sort of the trickster element yeah. in that. They you thought you were going to observe sort of, I don't know, some sort of authentic performance of what a powwow was. And and he said, let me put on a historical comment for you that does not Freeze our traditions in a in the past. And I'm gonna pick seemingly the three coolest boys to do it, or um, three boys that have cash in different ways. Um, and, and I think it connects to the end and you know the feasting I teach a class on Native Americans and Christianity, and, and one thing I wrestle with is how to do justice to the violence of the story, but also at the same time pay attention to creativity within that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and an account that just talks about sort of cultural or religious creativity in the, Mexico, in the midst of colonization, to say, look at the Virgin of Guadalupe and how something you know beautiful comes out of this clash of cultures it doesn't do justice to the violence, but if you just talk about violence, then you leave the story as if one side was crushed and forever, sort of yeah. frozen in the past. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't do justice to survivance and to, um, to agency and to creativity within that. And so I like that balance of particularly ending Indian and them as the resurrected people, yeah. right? It's really, it's almost both and, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Luke, did you have? Yeah, uh, I I've, I've been thinking about it as a contrast to this beautiful
4: thing that I witnessed here yeah. in this room um, last night. Yeah, um, which last last night was, was dragging a church. It was a, a drag party here, yeah. and the thing that was that was really beautiful last night was the teenagers
2: that stood up on stage and talk to a bunch of mostly older folks about their experience.
1: Come from for this person? What? How? How is that? That, that she has this vision at such a young age, and I, I hope my own children grow up with that. Um, that was not my experience as a youth at all. So feel, those kinds of feelings would be sort of shameful because um, they were missing the point of like the atonement and stuff like that. Like what?
4: That. You know, And like, like, let's let's figure out how to double down on that. Yeah, Um,
0: I like uh, that. I don't know if that's the. Yeah, I mean, none of parents are probably in these, so she probably wouldn't know that. Yeah. No, that's true. And even thinking about right, the inside out, teens and youth, and um, I think what I find every youth that i have met that is a part of inside out and i hated to miss drag me to church last night um is that they have have had to work through push past and say no you are not going to shame me for my body and you are not going to shame me for who i am and who i have been created to be and like you, right, purity culture, church, X, Y, right, like X, Y, and Z, all these institutions that devalue me. Um, yeah, no, like just no, right? They're saying no. And I think in this piece, um, and in thinking about perhaps, right, why I would say, um, yeah, like people of faith, and in particular, like, Heteronormative, privileged, evangelical, or like more traditional Christian people of faith, myself included, within purity culture, within that shame of body, or really just even shame of being and taking up space. How damning that is, right? To really keep us from um, speaking out, moving past the question, as Marie so like poignantly pushes us, right? Of is the question really, yes, it's a piece of that, but is that where we are to stay? Um, but I would love to hear from others around, yeah, I've just thinking, been thinking about in this essay and in Luke's comments and, um, and in yours, Brandon, too, of how do we live in these bodies that we occupy? And how do we interact with bodies that we and our, some of our ancestors um, have been and continue to violate and oppress? Um, yet also, how do we actually start living and practicing resurrection in ways that are liberating, not only, like, that are liberating for all of us, right? Um, how, do, how do we do that? Right, like, how do we push past all the all the systems that are telling us our bodies are broken, bad, sinful, or X, Y, and Z body is broken, bad, sinful, wrong? Right? Um, I mean, heck, there like mercy. There was just another synagogue killing yesterday for people, right, because of persons' bodies and who they are. So how do we begin to practice resurrection and name all of that violence and name all of that shame? But don't let us don't let it hold us captive. Any thoughts on that?
4: I worked with the Y for a years, and there's a Y that's really close in the city, close to a reservation. And one of the things that Monique um, Parker saying church is probably like your experience, the reservation is like the eternal mission field. Mm-hmm. If you're saying to fellow you know, like it's like, oh I know if I just like sit through this presentation, I'll get some snacks, or like, oh I know if I like this is just like people come here to share this information with us and they give us stuff, credit for the giving of stuff. Um, but but what he was sharing is like, just how important they have been trying to teach their teenagers to like be learners rather than like you know, like that, I know that's not what you're asking, but mm-hmm. that always stood out to me is like, how can we? You you, free, you started out the essay by just saying like, let us know where this is sacred ground that we're talking about, you know? But like, I knew nothing about the you know, Americans at all, you know? It's not even like mm-hmm. uh, a part of everyday life, but uh, I think the learning and the respecting of like mm-hmm. their culture, like, why they do things.
0: So practicing resurrection in part is always being open to always be a learner. Oh, yeah. yeah. Thanks, Jairus. Other thoughts on what practicing resurrection in these bodies in which we find ourselves in the here and now looks like?
1: So I'm thinking a lot about the idea of arrival mm-hmm. and like versus this idea of just being mm-hmm. and a continuous process. And so one of the things that stuck out to me was the expectation of arrival upon showing up to the reservation, and what was going to happen, and that there would be like, and I think a lot of times in more traditional faith movements, Christianity, there's this moment of arrival, right, rather than this just way of being. Yeah. And so, what does it look like? I guess the question I'm struck with is, what does it look like for resurrection to be a way of? a continuous process versus being a mode of
0: arrival and moving on. Thanks so much, Brooke. Yeah, what does it mean for resurrection to be a way of being rather than arrival? If you haven't read Process Theology, you should. No, it's true. And I think, right, because so often I think that that's why I so appreciate Marie saying, no, no, like let's talk about resurrection the temporal here and now and the journey of life because I think it can very easily become, right? It's all about the arrival of heaven or like life after death and we totally forget or we don't we don't put as much emphasis into what does it mean for resurrection to be a part of our lives in the here and now and that we're ever becoming and ever being shaped by this very thing. Any other final thoughts, reflections on what it might mean to practice resurrection and the complicated systems and bodies in which we find ourselves? Quickly,
1: yeah. I'll, I'll build off um, that last comment, um, and I love that. I love I love that so much, um, and it's really threatening to the um, kind of theology that like my youth group was bringing right it's like it not only is it a different way of doing resurrection it like takes the power away from that other narrative and so I've always wondered like why why didn't our like our youth pastor or, like, any of adults even, like, talk about that with us. Um, We didn't even, like, it was like it didn't even happen. Um, And I'm not sure that they, in that time, could articulate what you just said, but but maybe it was felt. Like, this, that, like, very physical here and now resurrection of... Um, these people, these Wallapai people, it's like, not only is it like calling out like white America past in like a really like in your face way, um, it's like really, um, it, thre- it like completely threatens the like resurrection narrative that we were bringing um, there. Um, but I think a lot of times like more liberal Christianity, we're like, we can kind of like roll our eyes at the sort of stuff my youth group was doing, but then we don't move on to, like, well, what does is, what is the, the living into resurrection look like? We're just like, we're done with the arrival. We're just not going to talk about this at all, actually. And so
0: I'm so thankful that Marie, yeah, whenever talking about the residency, was sort of saying, like, I think we need to actually talk about resurrection and absolution as a community Um, because we don't really. We kind of do, but not really. And I think she's so right and so very thankful for her sharing her essay this evening with us. Um, And we'll be talking about it more throughout Eastertide with Marie's different writings and gifts. And now, Neil, we're going to have the great Harriet pass off, and Neil is going to lead us in confession and absolution.
3: Gillian Welch tune. That's always a winner. Alright, my bearings here. Here we go. Here we go. town man used to plow and sing loved that mule and the mule loved him when the day got long as it does about now I'd hear him sing to his mule cow call him come on old sweet girl I'd bet the whole damn world we're gonna make it yeah to the end of the road singing hard times ain't gonna rule my mind hard times ain't gonna rule my mind Bessie hard times you ain't gonna That big machine's just picking up speed And we're supping on tears They were supping on wine We'll get to heaven in our own sweet time So come on, you Asheville boys Turn up your old-time noise kick till the dust comes up at the air cracks in the floor singing hard times you ain't gonna rule my mind singing hard times The captain man Doesn't plow no more I see him walk into the cigarette store I guess he lost that neck And forgot that song Woke up one morning and knew he was gone Singing come on you am king Come on you dogs and sing, pick up that dusty old horn. time song, and this one is a good one to sing along to you, if you feel so inclined. Let us pause in life's pleasures and count its many tears while we all sub sorrow with the poor. There's a song that will linger forever in our ears. Times come again no more Tis a song A sigh of the weary Oh, hard times, hard times Come again no more Many days you have lingered Around my cabin door Oh, hard times come again no more While we seek mirth and beauty and music, light and gay, there are frail forms fainting at the door. Though their voices are silent, their pleading looks will say, oh, hard times come again no more, tis a song Again no more. Tis a sigh that is wafted across the troubled wave. Tis a whale that's heard upon the shore. Tis a dirge that is murmured around the lowly
0: so much, Neil and Marie, um, for leading us tonight. This table that we come to week after week holds the both and, I think, of faith. The both and that, yes, there are still hard times, and yet this practice that shapes us that really molds us and has us ever becoming of breaking of bread and pouring of wine is saying, yes, but. But hard times come again no more. Yes, violence and destruction and death and evil are ever present. And theology that is oppressive is a large piece of that. And yet, when we break bread and when we pour wine for one another, we are proclaiming that God loves us and so loves the world. And God will never leave us nor leave this world. That hard times will come again no more. We come around this table week after week, believing Hoping, questioning, that somehow in the breaking of bread and the pouring of wine, we together are being transformed and ever becoming a resurrection people. This is our practice, one of them, of resurrection. So I invite you to this table. I am at the Alliance of Baptists this week, heard Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis of Middle Collegiate in New York city preach. She's one of the most remarkable preachers I've ever heard in my life. Um, I remember every sermon she's ever, that I've ever heard her preach. And she said when she was seven, her mom told her her first communion, now Jack, that's what she called her, now Jack, on your life of faith, and as you become and grow in this world, every time you take this bread You are telling to all those who hate you and defile you, and even within yourself, the shame you feel, that God loves you. And when you drink this juice, you are telling all those systems that oppress you and killed our people, that God will never leave you or leave us. God loves you, and God will never leave you. Let us come and break bread and pour wine or juice. Juice is in the dark green pitcher. Wine is in the brown. We have gluten-free crackers. There are some seeds, some nuts in the bread if you cannot do nuts. Um, But let us come and break bread and pour wine for one another. Thanks be to God.